The following is sponsored by the Logos Bible Study Platform. Visit logos.com slash go to get started and hear more at the conclusion of today's podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Multiplication of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, uh, a professor at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And here's always with my uh, long-term friend, long-term colleague, uh, Pastor Todd Pruitt, who is a minister of the PCA and pastors a church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Hey, Todd, how's it going? Going well, Carl. Good to see you as always, um, you know, doing our, our best to... Uh, uh, ruffle feathers every once in a while, um, you know, tackling subjects that that others are afraid to touch. We are we happily grab hold of of any third rail out there that uh, that we might uh, that that might damage our reputation further. So, which is presumably why both of us uh, our plan B at this point, if we lose our jobs, probably includes the phrase "Do you want fries with that?" You've always got to be willing to to say those <laughs> words frequently if uh, if you're going to contribute something in the. And, you know, and of course, our guest today is might have to join us with that as well, given his latest book. So, yes, yes. Our guest today is a well-known critic of CRT, and I'm not talking about Carl Russell Truman here. I'm talking about <laughs> critical race theory. It's a real privilege to have uh, on the program today somebody, I think I first had correspondence with uh, this professor probably 25 years ago when I was editing, I was in the UK and I was editing the journal Themelios, which is now, of course, run under the auspices of the Gospel mm. Coalition, but in those days was part of the uh, the publications of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And uh, this professor wrote a number of, of really good articles for me. It's Professor Douglas Grutaus, who is, well, should be well known to many of our listeners as a, as a Christian apologist. Uh, he also wrote a very, very moving book uh, about caring for his. Uh, his late wife, when she was struggling with, uh, I think it was aphasia, uh, an illness that that presents very much uh, uh, like Alzheimer's disease does. And uh, Douglas wrote a wonderful, powerful book about the the sacrificial caring uh, that he engaged in in, in the last uh, period of her life. But today we want to talk to him about a very different book, his latest book. The book is entitled Fire in the Streets. The fact that it's dedicated to Thomas Sowell might give you a hint that this is going to be an interesting, important, and very, very relevant book. Uh, the subtitle is How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics, and it will not surprise you that the center of the book uh, is significant discussion of critical race theory uh, set against the background of broader Marxist trajectories of thinking. Uh, many Christians uh, are having to 
think about CRT at the moment. Many Christians find their denomination or their church uh, is facing challenges from within and without relative to critical race theory. So it's very, very helpful to have a new book that guides us uh, confidently and competently through this minefield. Uh, uh, Professor Grutas, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Well, thank you. Happy to be back. First of all, why did you dedicate it to Thomas Sowell? For those listeners who aren't familiar with Thomas Sowell, he's perhaps one of the foremost conservative African-American intellectuals of the last right. 50 years. Why did you dedicate it to him? Well, I've been reading Dr. Sowell for many years, really about 40 years. And as I looked at the issues about race and economics and politics, I came back to Thomas Sowell over and over again. I may have more footnotes to him than any other author in the book. And the book has 500 footnotes. So I tried to deeply resource my ideas uh, in documentation. But I found that on so many issues pertaining, particularly to race and economics, that that Sowell would uh, puncture the cliches that we so often hear about so many things, uh, even going back to affirmative action and now the idea of reparations, minimum wage laws, and so on. And so much of critical race theory, since it is based on Marxism, has to do with reordering radically reordering society and really establishing a socialist state. And so Sowell has been a defender of the free market and a critic of socialism for 50, 60 years. He was a Marxist, actually, for quite some time, I think even through his doctoral work, amazingly. But uh, he changed his mind when he started working for the government. <laughs> and he saw that this was not the answer to uh, dealing with poverty or inequities and so on. So I don't know, Dr. Sowell, I sent him a copy of my book, but I wanted to uh, express my thanks to him because when we're dealing with issues of social standing for people of color, we're talking about things like the free market, socialism, and so on. We need a good biblical basis. And I try to give a biblical framework in this book, but we also need to know our economic history and how economics works. And a lot of evangelicals are hoodwinked by the left on economics. I've seen this for 40 years, really. I was myself as a young evangelical in the late 70s and early 80s. But it was really <clears throat> reading people like, uh, well, first Gary North, and then Gary North's favorite economist was Thomas Sowell. So I started reading Thomas Sowell and uh, realized that the left didn't have the right answers about matters of uh, social justice, race, really anything. So I found him to be so helpful. And it was great to be able to go through my library and rummage through all my Thomas Sowell books and quote books I'd read 40 years ago, and so on. So that's why I dedicated uh, that to Thomas Sowell. That's a beautiful mm -hmm. gesture. And, um, and why critical yeah. race theory? Uh, I think Todd and I both have a pretty good idea of why you would but explain to our listeners why why as a Christian philosopher like yourself decided at a, sort of a, a, a latish stage in your career to, to zero in on this particular issue? 
But Carl, I'm only 25. You should know. <laughs> you only look 25. <laughs> you certainly yeah, have more right. hair than Todd and I have combined. That's true. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, young hair, everything else has gone south. But, uh, well, in a way, I didn't want to write the book. I think the book wanted to be written because there was so much controversy, especially in 2020. So I call the book Fire mm -hmm. in the Streets because there literally was fire in the streets in 2020. And the reason there was fire in the streets is because there was fire in the minds of men and women. And I was thinking back to that great book by James Billington called Fire in the Minds of Men, which is a history of socialism, right. uh, which I read part of years ago. And I thought this, uh, this volume of rioting and this intensity of hatred and destruction doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't come from one video of a man dying under the knee of a police officer. It's rooted in a social political philosophy. And I knew what that was because I had studied Marxism, critical theory, critical race theory. And I kept being asked to talk about this on radio shows, podcasts, Zoom sessions, and so on. And I remember it was in the middle of a talk I was doing, I think it was for some students in Eastern Europe, I thought, I have to write a book on this. So mm -hmm. I was able to find a publisher right away, Salem, which is a new publisher for me. They are an imprint of Regnery, a uh, great historic conservative publisher going back 75 years. And they were able to help me get the book out fairly quickly because I knew it was a, a matter of great moment. And <clears throat> I wanted to get the book out uh, not five years later with some definitive 500 page volume. I've already done that on apologetics, actually 800 pages, but I wanted to uh, give people something to chew on and not be hoodwinked, not be deceived uh, by the language and the concept of critical race theory, which we saw advocated by Black Lives Matter and which we see really now the official philosophy of uh, the Biden administration with their ideas of diversity, equity, and, inc and inclusion. So as a philosopher, I wanted to go to the roots of it. I have a section in there called Marxism 101, where I co quote Marx and Engels and explain something about Marxism as a uh, godless, atheistic worldview based on conflict. Uh, for Marx, it was really economic conflict. But now with critical race theory, they, they very much add uh, race and also sexual minorities. I didn't, the first manuscript actually of the book had a whole chapter on uh, transgenderism and gender ethics and so on, which would have tied in very well, very well with Carl's book. But the problem was they said, we want 60,000 words and I gave them 100,000 words. And they came back and they said, we want 60,000 words. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, I cut that out, but I did include that as a essay recently published. Nice. So this is a non-Christian worldview. It's not in any sense based on the character of God. It has no categories of the intrinsic value of all people made in God's image. It doesn't teach that original sin has affected and infected all people, red and yellow, black and white, purple, whatever they are. So I wanted to bring uh, an economically wise and politically wise and biblically solid critique to counteract uh, the sort of headlong uh, 
the headlong march into the critical race theory abyss that I'm seeing everywhere. Yeah. You know, one of the things we see um, in otherwise, quote, you know, conservative or Bible-believing evangelicalism are voices that are are wanting uh, to somehow come up with a way to um, make critical race theory um, applicable to the gospel, where they say, well, you know, there's compatibility there, and you just have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, and heck, you know, we do that with, um, you know, Platonic philosophy, you know, we understand, you know, we take certain things that are good, and 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 we should be able to do that with critical race theory, and I've tried to explain to folks why that's a lot trickier than they seem to think, and I wonder, you you were starting to mm-hmm. get there as as you were talking about, but unpack that a little bit further as to why you would say, no, this this is different from 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 appropriating certain things, for instance, that 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 Plato stumbled upon, trying to 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 find an intersection between critical race theory and and the gospel is far different. Unpack yeah. that a little bit. What well, is? I did a lot of work on the New Age movement when I was a younger man, and when I was twenty five for real, I'm sixty five now, mm-hmm. and people used to always tell me, "Well, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater," and I kept saying, "There's no baby there." Uh, there's really right. nothing very good uh, about the new age pantheistic mystical worldview. And I say the same thing about critical race theory because of its roots. It's rooted in mm-hmm. an atheistic, economically uh, unwise, deadly philosophy that is responsible for perhaps over 100 million civilian deaths in the 20th century. We're talking about the USSR, Red China, Cambodia and so on. We're talking about an intrinsically oppressive, totalitarian, godless philosophy. Now, critical race theory deals with things like uh, racial injustice, the history of racism in America. Those are significant topics that need to be addressed, but not according to critical race theory categories. So I think we have James Cohn to blame for a lot of this. I mentioned him, I think, briefly in the book, He said he was a black liberation theologian. He wrote a fairly good book on the spirituals and the blues, but his overall theology was was not good, was not orthodox. And he said, well, we can use Marxism as an analytical tool as Christians. And you hear that even in some Southern Baptist circles. And I want to think, folks, you need to know better than this. It's not an analytical tool. It's a worldview that is antithetical to Christianity. So we need biblical categories and we need good, solid economic and historical evaluation to know what's going on. So one thing I do in the book is deal a little bit with American history, particularly the Declaration and the Constitution, because uh, critical race theory, as articulated by the 1619 Project, wants to completely devalue and discredit the whole American system. That. The Declaration was a fraud because Jefferson wrote it and he had slaves. The Constitution is meaningless because the writers, uh, some of them owned slaves and, s- slaves and so on. And you hear this story that the Constitution says that African-Americans are worth three-fifths of a white person, yeah. which is just flat-out ignorance uh, yeah. or worse because it was a compromise between the North and the South about representation in the legislature. Actually, the North got a concession from the South because it gave the South less voting power. So what I want to say is that the Declaration is a magnificent document. 
Jefferson was conflicted about slavery. He wrote better than he lived. We often teach and preach and write better than we live. And if you look at the words of those documents, and if you look at American civilization and consider how it has been self-reforming through the amendment process, through the civil rights movement, we have a lot to be grateful for. And uh, I say, find a better country. We have a lot of things to change for the better, but don't burn it down. Don't appeal to critical race theory ideas to try to make America better because you won't. You'll make it worse. You'll make it more contentious. You'll make it more violent. Yeah. And what's interesting, you know, on, on the slavery question is the fact that, you know, the world has practiced slavery for as long as we know. I, I don't think there's a single culture in history that did not practice uh, right. slavery. Slavery had been practiced on the African oh, continent sure. for thousands yeah. of years. And of course, it found its way into Western Europe and then, of course, across the ocean to the colonies and, and into the states. But it was Western civilization that practiced slavery probably for a much mm -hmm. shorter period of time than any other culture. And they were the ones that brought right. it to an end precisely because the practice of chattel slavery was inconsistent with the ideals of Western culture. That's right. And so, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that Western uh, nations adopted slavery for any mm -hmm. time at all. But the point is, is that it, it, it was clear that ultimately it was incompatible mm -hmm. with, um, with the founding principles. Right, exactly. And there's nothing uniquely white about slavery. There's something right. uniquely right. sinful about slavery. So yeah. if you want to get to the root of it, you go back to your original sin. And if you look at it historically, and Thomas Sowell is so helpful on this, as you mentioned, Todd, countries, civilizations have have endorsed and perpetuated slavery for thousands of years. And it's really in the West, yeah. the Christian West, uh, first of all, really in England, that we see slavery opposed. And how is it opposed? By Christian principles. And furthermore, right. the United States was not completely pro-slavery. The Northern states, mm -hmm. uh, states were not. Now, sadly, that precipitated the Civil War. But we have the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to I don't like the word codify anymore, but to, uh, to put into yeah. place the realities of equal rights for all Americans. So my, my book, in many ways, is a defense of the American ideal in the face of a, a radical and dangerous and very unhealthy challenge that often is perpetuated by Christians who don't know the roots yeah. of critical race theory, who don't know their Karl Marx and their Herbert Marcuse and, and all the rest of it. So. I'm the obnoxious philosopher who comes along and says, folks, let's go to the sources here and let's find out what's going on. Uh, Marcuse fascinates me uh, relative to... Uh, first of all, Angela Davis, of course, was, was a student of Marcuse. And now that doesn't necessarily mean right. we can sort of blame him for a critical race or whatever. But I'm, I'm fascinated by him as... When I read the Frankfurt School, you have what I would call the, the pessimists. Theodore Adorno, the later Max Horkheimer, mm -hmm. the guys who ultimately everything's going to the dogs, it seems. And then you have Marcuse, who's this mm -hmm. utopian, really. And what's interesting to me mm -hmm. about him is he's incapable. He can tell you everything that's wrong, but he's incapable of actually telling you what utopia is going to be like. When you, when you move to Black <laughs> Lives Matter and you look at their – last time I looked at their sort of <laughs> statement page – they're admirably clear on what they want to destroy. They want to get rid of the police, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Very, very clear that there are institutions that have got to go. 
Then you move to the, okay, what are you going to replace them with? And it's all a community marked by joy or some of this. And it gets to sort of, okay, well, this reminds me of Marcuse. We just get rid of everything. Can we have free sex? Mm -hmm. And everything's going to be wonderful. Well, I I still need to know about the supply chain here. I still need to know who's going to be growing vegetables (laughs) to feed people. It's it's this bizarre (laughs) utopianism that very intelligent people Mm. end up buying into very stupid philosophies, seems to me. What would you say about that, Doug? Oh, exactly. And and my book is definitely a critique of utopianism. And this is just endemic to Marxism, neo-Marxism, where it has been worked out in one way or another. It's been an unmitigated disaster economically, politically, in every way. Uh, Marxist countries typically cannot feed their own people, or they Mm -hmm. intentionally starve their own people the way Stalin did in the planned famine in the Ukraine. And I think one reason why a lot of younger people are drawn to socialism and critical race theory is they don't know history. They don't know what Marxist-Leninism, Marxist-Maoism is. They have no idea. They just have some AOC, uh, you know, gauzy picture of socialism is great because it's about being sociable and capitalism is bad because it's about money. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, when the ignoramuses are in charge, we all suffer. So uh, I'm trying to do a deeper dive into the history. And I've got a chapter defending the free market, which I was really happy to do because critical race theory is anti-free market. It requires diversity, equity, inclusion which doesn't happen naturally. The only way it happens to get proportional representation of minorities across the board is from the top down, having them imposed, irrespective of merit. So I am really defending meritocracy. I'm defending the civil rights vision of equal opportunity. And I'm anti-utopianism. All conservatives, all Christians have to be anti-utopian. We want to see the kingdom manifested in history, but we await uh, the eschaton for uh, the final vindication of good and the instigation of uh, perfect righteousness. And whenever we try to speed that up, it just ends up creating hell on earth. Yeah. Every time I'm asked about um, possible, you know, the possible use of critical theory or critical race theory um, and using it as an analytical tool for reading the Bible or, or, or using it, some of its categories and, uh, and incorporating it with Christianity. I tell people you, you need to look no further than liberation theology, because that's really, that's, that's kind of the religious cousin mm-hmm. of, of critical theory. And, and, and it's unavoidable if, if, if you try to incorporate critical, you can't have critical theory within Christianity without first dismantling the the um, doctrine of the atonement uh, because you can't have an innocent person being treated quote unjustly and so they always destroy mm. the, the the doctrine of the atonement and uh, they also uh, uh, d- d- destroy uh, redemption because you have to have a group that is in a constant state of of penance that so they don't have repentance right. they have penance right where you and and you're always there mm-hmm. if you're in the unfavored group you're always kind of needing acts of penance. And so it, it you, you, you can't have critical theory in the gospel without demolishing the gospel. Well, I think so. I, I have a chapter where I uh, address the idea of um, masochism 
And actually, I, I was drawing from some ideas of, of Rush Dooney in his book, The Politics of Guilt and Pity, where he said that liberalism is intrinsically uh, masochistic because it believes that there are some that oppress and some who are innocent, and those that oppress have to keep punishing themselves in order to somehow atone for their own sins. Mm-hmm. And the atonement was wrought by Jesus Christ. We cannot do atonement. Uh, we can only receive it through his work on the cross. So the whole model of the human condition, social change, what is a just society is skewed. I mean, worse than skewed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, topsy-turvy with yeah. the Marxist, uh, neo-Marxist critical race theory approach to things. And there's really no forgiveness. You're an oppressor or you're an oppressed. And this the oppressors have to keep doing uh, penance. And I think back in 2020, when the whole society was just about completely unhinged, you have white people getting on their knees in front of black people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm only going to take one knee. I'll take two knees for Jesus Christ, but not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, there are Christians that, that weren't recognizing how that that undoes the gospel yeah. that kind of vandalizes the gospel um i you know as 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 we begin working towards kind of wrapping up i i i wanted to ask you clearly n- no one denies that because we are sinners there can be racism in our hearts racism in our actions we we understand that any kind of a racial um animus mm-hmm. and and racial prejudice that that's a sin no nobody i don't know anyone that denies that we also know that that racism can uh, you know, have have large certain societal um, manifestations to it, but you do address in your book kind of uh, contemporary claims of of quote systemic racism. You know, how would you kind of sum up mm-hmm. your, your your thoughts in terms of the contemporary claims of systemic yeah. racism? Well, certainly, systemic racism is real, and it has been a part of American society through slavery and Jim Crow and. There are even policies, uh, state-sponsored policies called redlining that disadvantaged Blacks from owning property in certain places. But you have to apply the categories properly. So for critical race theory, any discrepancy of positive outcome among people groups or among minorities is the result of racism. So if we don't have 13% Uh, judges that are African-American, it's racist. If we don't have 13% pilots, it's racist. Abraham X. Kendi just comes out and says this outright. And that is terrible social science. And uh, Thomas Sowell taught me this so many years ago that discrepant outcomes, if you want to even call them discrepant, variable outcomes in society take place for all kinds of reasons, not just racial reasons. Uh, It can be self-selection. It can be where you live in the country. I mean, it can be average age. The average age of a Japanese-American is about 51. The average age of of African-American is about, I think, 27. Now, generally speaking, if you're older, you've tended to uh, build more wealth and have more overall financial possibilities than when you're 25. So those are just two things. Where you live, for example... Sol points out that around the world, throughout history, people that live in very mountainous regions tend to have lots of trouble uh, taking care of themselves, getting proper education. It's, they have more dysfunction and so on. So 
think of Appalachia. Most residents of Appalachia are not black, they're white. And so when you say that whites, because they're white, oppress people of color, I'd say, what about a third generation welfare, crack addicted uh, or otherwise drug addicted uh, man who lives in a trailer that's about to be repossessed in Appalachia? Is he really part of an oppressor class? Uh, we need to junk those categories and we need to think about people as individuals, as made in the image and likeness of God, as fallen. We need fair principles of justice. We need equal opportunity. And we need to address things, I think, according to the best of the American ideals, not according to a, a neo-Marxist blueprint that has never done good for society and will not bring about good now. So, you know, what I'm saying is not in any way a denial of the realities of racism, past or present, but it's one approach to race that it criticizes one approach to race, which I think is profoundly unhelpful critical race theory. And it's only one approach. Uh, I quote a number of African-American writers about what would be better for people of color in the United States. I often quote uh, Thomas Sowell. I also really appreciate Shelby Steele's work, the great writer, historian, Walter Williams, uh, Jason Riley, who is a re reporter for the wall street journal he has a terrific book called please stop helping us <laughs> you know which is all these gigantic governmental programs since the new, since the great society have not overall helped african-americans uh charles murray has made that case as well so uh, i'm hoping the book will spark some good critical thinking about critical race theory and will encourage people to look for uh, really not solutions. I mean, I'm a conservative, so we don't look for solutions. We look for trade-offs, <laughs> right? We look for ways of incrementally helping Americans and helping America. And I think the way we do this is living up to our founding ideals, not say, saying the whole thing is a fraud. Uh, the Declaration is a fraud. The Constitution is a fraud. The Civil Rights Movement really didn't do that much good yeah. for African Americans. I think those ideas are are wrong. Uh, they're not based on evidence, and they're also dangerous and not helpful. Well, uh, obviously, this is a, a discussion that could keep going because it's an important, highly relevant um, discussion, and, and the issue uh, is directly impacting um, not just our nation, but but the church, as these ideas oftentimes try to kind of find their way into our churches. Our guest has been uh, Dr. Douglas Grutice. Uh, um, Dr. Grutice has, has taught for years at, at Denver Seminary. He's the author of many books, um, from philosophy to apologetics. Uh, as he said earlier, I, I have some of his earlier books back when he was really critiquing the the New Age movement at the height of that movement, and now um, he is stepping into uh, to offer a, a very helpful critique on these more uh, relevant subjects. The name of the book is "Fire in the Streets: How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics," and we would encourage you to get a copy. In fact. If you would go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can register to win a copy of this book, and we would encourage you to do that. And while you're at our website, uh, you might want to consider making a financial uh, donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals 
so that they can continue to provide this sort of content to you. Um, we're so glad uh, that you joined us today. Again, we are uh, so thankful for um, Douglas Grutheis for taking the time to join us and uh, to engage in this important subject. And uh, we will look forward to being with you all again soon. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. My dad used to say to me, he said, you, you know something about the Welsh, that their accent is such that even when they're really happy, they sound as if they're complaining about something. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we went this far without getting a commentary on the passing of the Queen of England. Carl did write a little thing, a little thing honoring her for yeah. first things. Now we get uh, Charles. And, uh, yeah, I'm afraid Britain is, is tending in the American direction of, you yeah. know, well, I just mediocrity in its head of state. I, I, I want him to um, to lecture us more on global warming. That's what I'm hoping for. No, what what we want him on lecture to lecture on modern architecture. He's good on modern architecture. Oh, okay. He hates modern architecture. Good. But I still I still give him the edge over Biden and Trump. So <laughs> I think I could still say we. He, I may not be able to point you unconditionally to my head of state and say be like him when you grow up. But, <laughs> You know, aim more in that direction, I would say. <laughs> According to a recent survey, 30% of evangelical churchgoers want more in-depth teaching. If you want to go deeper into the Word, Logos is the Bible study platform for you. Logos fuses powerful technology with biblical resources. Access Bibles, search tools, commentaries, seminary-level courses, even audiobooks right on your phone, tablet, or desktop. Logos offers nearly 200,000 digital books from the world's top publishers. Logos editions have been turbocharged with powerful data that connect them with the rest of your library. So whether you're comparing Bible translations, tackling tough topics, or studying deep theological issues, Logos has you covered. Dig into the original language resources without even knowing Greek or Hebrew, and Logos will even help you pronounce the words. Pastors and scholars like John Piper, Matt Chandler, and Eric Mason use Logos in their study and sermon prep. Get started with Logos today for just $49. Go to logos.com slash go. That's logos.com slash go. 